Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, kids can, can head on out. Because it's going to get boring, so kids, head on out. Run for your lives. Run for your lives. Yeah, Dan. Dan's realizing he's going to teach the kids this morning. That's funny. Actually, this Bible is this way because I bought it on eBay, and it came this way. So I haven't read it, but I just carried it around. Actually, my, uh, my, for our wedding, one of, our, one of my wife's friends gave us a Bible for our wedding, and it's gigantic. And every once in a while, I'll carry that around. And my wife's like, easy, easy, Mr. Spiritual. It's kind of waving that around. This heavy, heavy Bible. I got a really big, really big heavy Bible here. Um, hey, first and foremost, I just want to say hi to my mom and dad in Flagstaff, Arizona. Yes, hello. They will, uh, they'll be joining us. I don't know. I think they're at their church this morning, but then they'll maybe see it a little later on. But uh, I'm on TV. I made it. Finally made it. Finally something they can be proud of. Um, <laughs> no, but I guess, you know, we, you know, over the past handful of weeks, we've been, been talking about prayer. Tim and the rest of the team kind of been going through um, the Lord's Prayer in specific, but just this concept of prayer. And this morning, I think I'm going to kind of, kind of tack on to that a little bit more. We're kind of talking in some sense, uh, maybe it's not um, referencing prayer in specific, but basically it's a, a, a conversation space or an interaction with God and a way in which we do that. And in particular, a space where we're listening a little bit more to God. Um, there are you know, prayer is a great thing um, insofar it gives us a space to say something to God where we can just tell God, hey, I need something, I need your help, etc., etc. And then there's also um, a space in prayer where we can listen to God and say, God, what is it you want to say to me? Um, in some sense, I, I need something from you. I need something from you, and it's, and it's not simply my request, but it's also I need your presence to help my presence in some sense, just to be with you. And maybe if you have a word for me, God, that would be great. But maybe just being with you is helpful to me in some sense. So in some sense, what we're talking about this morning is, is prayer, kind of tacking on to this whole concept of prayer. But um, so many months ago, um, you know, I'm a dad. I've got uh, three young kids, a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. Um, I, you know, by day, uh, I'm a therapist, so I get to hang out with people, marriage and family therapist, so I get to hang out with people and talk about life. Um, also a husband, and, and sometimes life gets really busy. In fact, oftentimes it feels very busy. Um, and over the years, if you've been around life very long, you've probably heard Tim and, and some other folks talk about different spiritual disciplines, um, Sabbath and things like that. But one of the things that's um, been advocated for, suggested, is um, this idea of like a retreat, a prayer retreat or something of that nature. So about six months ago, um, I went on a little just self-guided prayer retreat. It wasn't like a big go out to Mojave and, you know, for 40 days and 40 nights and anything like that. It was just like a little half-day retreat. And as I was heading up to, I went to, to Palos Verdes for like a little hike to kind of start the, the retreat space, the retreat time. And... Um, I was going to go for a hike, and so I just was like, God, you know, what's a, what's a, a verse just to kind of chew on while I'm going? I'm standing in the wrong spot. There's some spot right here. This is, a, this is, the, this is where Satan is right here, really trying to distract. So I'm like, okay, stay over this way so there's so much feedback. Um, no, so I'm going up to the, to the hike, and um, I'm saying, God, you know, what's, you know, what's a, a verse that you want me just to kind of chew on? While I'm just while I'm walking up and down this hike, what's a verse that you want me to chew on? And this verse in particular, Psalm 62, 5, 
was the one that kind of jumped out to me. So now I'm, I'm walking through PV, and there's a beautiful space, and I just keep repeating this verse over and over again. And, and this is the, per, the verse um, in particular that we'll talk about this, this morning. But the, the passage is, For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. And so I'm walking through. It's beautiful. You can see Catalina. It's a beautiful, gorgeous, blue blue sky day. And my mind is just kind of wandering, thinking about life, thinking about my kids, my wife, you know, being a therapist, all this stuff. And then I would kind of just grab my mind and bring it back to this passage. For God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. And then I'd walk another 100 feet, and I'd see the beautiful grass and feel the breeze, and you could see off in the distance, you could see the grass, I'm not sure how many of you guys do these little hikes up in that area, but you can see kind of the grass waving in the wind, and I just sit there and just watch this grass waving in the wind saying, oh, this is amazing, such a beautiful view, I see this boat going in the ocean, you know, I don't know, they catch lobster, do whatever people do in boats out in that area, but um, I see this boat, and I'm just kind of watching the boat, and then all of a sudden, I just, my mind would come back to, oh, yeah, I want to chew on this passage, for God alone, oh, my soul, Wait in silence, for my hope is from him. And for the past six months-ish, that's just been a passage that's almost like a well that I've come back to and drawn from. Um, in the busyness of life and the craziness of life, all the different decisions that need to be made at, at the job and with my kids and stuff like that, I keep coming back to this idea of waiting, waiting on God, making space to say, what do you, is there something you want to say to me, God? And so that's what we'll talk a little bit about this morning, just this idea of creating the stillness, et cetera, et cetera. But before we get going too much farther, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump, dive into it, okay? And so, God, this morning, we do come before you. We, we want to bring ourselves, God. There's some noise inside of us. You know, you know, mortgage needs to be paid, rent needs to be paid, Job tasks uh, need to be completed. Relationship, relationship dynamics that need to be navigated. Maybe beautiful times, maybe difficult times. Whatever it may be, God, we come before you this morning. Part of it to tell you with our own voices that we need something. But there's also part of us who this morning, they want, we want to sit here and listen to you. Do you have something to say to us? Maybe you want to remind us about something that's going on in, in our own hearts and our own minds. Or maybe, maybe you have a piece of wisdom that you want to share with us. Maybe you just want to remind us of who you are. That you are big and strong and powerful and creative and trustworthy. Whatever it may be this morning, God, we want to hear you. So we just ask that you would help us to be able to hear you this morning and strengthen us. We love you, God. We absolutely need you. Guide us along this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I guess maybe, maybe what we'll start is with this, this passage, and maybe if we could leave this passage up for a little bit here. For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. Maybe let's emphasize one word first. I'll, I'll emphasize a handful of words here, but one word in particular is this word soul. Soul. It's interesting. It's interesting. Not for God alone, my mind or for God alone, my heart, for God alone, my soul. And I'm wondering, as I've kind of chewed on this passage, 
the author here is David. I'm wondering, what's David getting at here? What, what's he, who's he talking to um, when he's talking to himself and saying, I'm going to show up? And he's saying, I'm going to show up to God in a certain way, and it's going to be with my soul. I'm talking to my soul. And in some sense, although the soul throughout the Old Testament references a bunch of different things, but I think in this particular sense, he's trying to get something a little more core to who he is, something deep inside of him. He's reminding himself to bring something not just thoughts, although thoughts are included, not just emotions, although emotions are included, but trying to, to bring the, the core of who he is to God. And he's reminding that core of who he is to show up in a certain way. And he's reminding the core of who he is, who he's showing up to meet with in some sense. And I think what is interesting to me is the reason why David has to remind himself to bring his soul the core of himself in, into this um, conversation space or into this uh, relationship space, is because there are times when you can show up to God and not bring your soul. He doesn't have to remind himself, oh, that's right, breathe. Because he just breathes. He's not saying, oh, heart, pump. No, because his heart pumps. But he's having to remind himself, oh, that's right. There are times in life where I can leave my soul out of it. I can leave the core of who I am out of it, and we'll talk about what it is. But it's interesting to me as we kind of get into this passage, recognizing that in, in us, like David, that there are ways in which we can live our lives, and in particular, in the way in which we engage God, that doesn't include the core of who we are. I'm not sure if you've recognized that in yourself, but I absolutely I can do a quiet time in the morning, sit in front of Scripture, and who I really am isn't even there. I'm reading the words on the page, and I can even underline the words and say, oh, that reminds me of another Bible verse, or what, oh, Tim talked about that. I'm gonna kind of, I, can, I can do the business of being around God without truly bringing my full self to God. And so I think that's one thing I want to emphasize here. Oh, it's interesting, David. He's calling the core of who he is, the totality of who he is in some sense, into relationship with God. The second thing I want to underscore is for God alone, for God alone. So as he steps into this space, he's reminding himself that he wants to engage God and just God in some sense. Now, I don't think this means that he's saying he has to completely get rid of human beings in his life or any other thoughts or whatever it may be, but I think it's a centering or a, or a, a refocusing in whatever moment it is to recognize what's the real intention, what's the real focus here. Even if I'm sitting and having coffee with a friend of mine and there's something inside of me that senses a busyness and I'm saying I want to still myself and I want to focus on God, I can have a conversation with another pe person but I'm developing a focus that, oh, this is a space where I want to make God the intention. It doesn't always have to be that, and we'll talk a little bit more about that for sure. But in this time, David's saying, hey, soul, hey, soul, let's focus who, who I am on God. Let's make sure that he is the priority. There's a, there's a passage in Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah ch chapter 2, 13, and he, uh, God is, is talking through Jeremiah, but God is talking to the Israelites. And he says, my, my people uh, had two sins, made two gigantic mistakes, two sins. One, they rejected me. And then he calls himself something. 
the fountain of living water. So the, the, the phrase that I think of or the word that I think of is the source. My people rejected me, the source of refreshment, the source of vitality. And then they pivoted from me and dug cisterns that can't even hold water. They're cracked cisterns. So in that, in that, um, in that space, according to commentaries, I've never been there, but this is what commentaries tell me. In that space, you have like three sources of water. One, the ideal source is like a spring of water. It's pure. It's fresh. It's clean. And if you can get water from that spring, you're stoked. That's where you want to get the water, okay? And God is basically identifying himself as that source, that fountain of water. My people have rejected that cleanest, purest, freshest source of vitality and refreshment, that fountain, me, the fountain of water. They've rejected it. And then they went, and in that space, sometimes you've got to wait for rain, and when the rain comes, you've got to capture the rain. So what they would do is they would dig um, these pits, basically, these wells, so it's not wells, but something like that, to capture the water. It was called a cistern, so they'd dig into rock or limestone or something like that and hope that the rain would come, would get stored inside these cisterns, and when things are dry, they can go to the cisterns and grab the water. The problem is, as many of you know, Water that's stagnant gets mosquitoes, right? The dust that blows around falls into the cistern, and then you start to get, like, silt and mud inside there. So now you're drawing from this cistern stuff that's not that fresh. Hopefully it'll keep you alive, keep you moving, keep you going. Potentially you get hepatitis or something like that, but, hey, at least you're alive still, you know? At least you're still going. Uh, and God's saying, so my people did two sins. They rejected me, the source of living vitality. And then they pivoted and tried and make something that would capture some other source in some sense. And so when we, when we show up, sometimes we ask ourselves, hey, soul, soul, show up not to the cistern, not to some other source of water. I'm going to show up to the source of living water to God alone this morning in some sense. Okay, so another thing I'll emphasize. So for God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. Silence, I'm not sure, or waiting, maybe I should say. We'll start with waiting. I'm not sure how good you are at waiting. Not necessarily my spiritual gift or my strength, if you would say. I'm not a good waiter. Um, I'm a good mover arounder, if that's the phrase to use. I can move around. Um, um, but in this passage, he says, wait. He's wait. And the implication being that sometimes he doesn't wait. Sometimes he goes, right? And I'm not sure if you identify with that, but I absolutely identify with that. There's a passage in, in Psalm 37, 7, that says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently in him. Not just wait, but wait patiently. I think of, I'm not sure if any of you guys have maybe family abroad, and so maybe you get on the phone and give them a call hey, Nana, or whatever it may be, and you're scrubbing dishes and you're doing folding laundry while you're talking with them, and, which is fine, that's great, you know, two birds, one stone, and all that stuff. But in, in, in this particular passage, he's saying, hey, wait, in Psalm 37, wait patiently, get rid of the distractions. Jump on the phone with God, don't do the dishes. Don't fold the laundry. Sit with him and say, hey, you got something to say? What's going on? What are you doing in life? I want to hear it. I want to soak it up. Silence. Uh, there's a, a beautiful passage in, in Psalm 131 that says, um, I do not occupy myself with things too great and marvelous for me. 
which I do. I think about politics. I think about culture and social justice. And you know, how do we? Uh, how do I help? I'm a therapist, so how do I fix all humans? You know, in some sense, I occupy myself with things far, far, far too marvelous for me. But I think I can do it. Um, but in this psalm, he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. And he uses this word picture like a weaned child. You know, there's the child who drinks milk from the mother. But then eventually the child starts to grow and you develop a space where you say, you, you don't have to drink from me anymore. And slowly the, the, the child becomes less anxious about food. The child can start resting and now running around and playing because food isn't the only focus for this child. I've calmed and quieted my spirit, my soul, like this, this child that's been weaned in some sense. And what, what David's calling his soul to do is wait like that weaned child. Wait in quiet and silence in stillness and say, I, I know you're here, God, and I'm going to just sit here patiently and wait for what it is you want to say. And part of the reason, this last little chunk of the passage, for my hope is from him. For some of us, and myself in particular, our hope is in a lot of other things. My hope is in the paycheck that I make. I'm not sure if you do this, but I do this a lot. Or something inside me says, is there some way I could make more money? Is there some other activity I could do so that I bring in a little bit more income? Because my hope is in my income. If I have more money, then I'll be safe and secure for the future. My family will be happy, etc. That's where my hope is, right? Some of us, our hope is in the way we look and our image, or maybe our power, our abilities, or maybe in our, our personality. Maybe people will like me. That's where my hope is. If I can act a certain way, do a certain way, look a certain way, then people will like me. And if they like me, I can be okay. I'm okay. That's where my hope is. I'm developing all these different techniques and ways of being so that I can feel good about life and myself. And David in this space says, no, my hope is in God alone. So that's why I still myself in this space with him because that's where my hope truly lies. And because that's where my hope truly lies, I'm going to go to the source and say, God, do you have something to say? Do you want, you want to say something right now? Because I'm going to just be listening for you. That's where my hope is. There's a passage, Psalm 46, 10, that says, Be still and know that I am God. Know that I am God. You're not God. Your wife isn't or your spouse isn't God. Your parents aren't God. Your culture isn't God. Your teacher, your professor, your, all of these different people, your coach, they're not God. You're not God. Be still and know that I'm God. And I got it under control. Right? There's Isaiah um, 30, 15. This, I was, as I was kind of researching or thinking through this passage, this, this verse uh, came up, Isaiah 30, 15, that just kind of, I've never really heard this verse before, and it, it struck me. Um, but God's talking to the Israelites, and he says, in, uh, in returning and rest, you will be saved. In returning and and rest, you'll be saved. If you know much about the Israelites, they like to leave God a lot. They like to go away and go do other things and work at other things or whatever. So, but, but God says, in returning and when you return, resting, in returning and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. It's like you're planting these seeds, quietness and trust, and, and they start to take root. And what comes from that is your strength. But then God says this, but... 
You were unwilling, but you were unwilling. If, if you come to me, quiet, rest, etc., etc., all of these things will come from it, but you were unwilling. And in some sense, that's what David is trying to get at. He's dragging his soul into the presence of God and saying, shh, 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 shh. my real hope is from him. So I'm going to put myself in his presence and say, what, do you have something you want me to hear about me, about you, about the world around? Is there something you're wanting to say? Now, I'm not, I don't think what David's advocating for is um, a continual state of quietness and, and calm and um, at all moments of life, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But the question, I think, maybe for us this morning is, if those of, there are those of us who are hearing this and saying, God, that's what I want. I want to create that dynamic with you. The question then is, what, what do you think interrupts that? What do you think gets in the way of that? We'll talk a little bit, but give some ideas right here, but maybe just for a quick 30 seconds. Maybe just quiet yourself for a second and, and ask yourself, God, I think I get pretty busy. I get pretty unrested, not still. Maybe ask yourself for this 30 seconds, what does Get my focus, my attention. Think about that for just 30 seconds and then we'll keep going. Imagine we could sit longer and give God space to tell us more in specific. I imagine for some of us, we're sitting there like, I ain't got nothing. <laughs> and we need more of that space to hear from God and etc. But I think it's very important. We could, we could talk about some of the um, things, and we will a little bit, hopefully, although I'm probably going a little bit long, so maybe we won't. But anyways, um, <laughs> part of the dynamic, uh, we could talk about some of the specifics that kind of get in the way, you know, kind of uh, in general or things like that, and we'll do, do a little bit of it. But I think what's really important for Christians, I, I think, and I could be wrong here, but I think what's really important for Christians is God knows something about you and this world that I think you get surprised by. Jesus says in, in, in uh, John 16, 33, in this world, there will be troubles. He guarantees that. There will be troubles. No duh, we all know that. But I think the problem is, within our Christian culture, I think we get surprised, ashamed, embarrassed, guilty, that when the troubles come, we respond in certain ways. That the stillness, in some sense, goes out the window, that hope in God goes out the window, and we're busy doing, getting stuff done. Or the troubles come, and we're trying to serve God the best that we can, 
And still, the stillness is gone and, and is gone. And maybe we're serving with God, maybe we're serving without God, but it's from good intentions or whatever it may be. When we sometimes, when we step back and we look at it, we feel um, disturbed. Where we go, oh my goodness, I haven't had a quiet time in forever. Or I have did this whole thing without prayer. I mean, every time I teach, every time I teach, I go weeks and weeks just thinking through scripture. And then I'm like, dude, I haven't prayed one time about what God wants me to say. Not once. I'm just, okay, what's the scripture, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, I, oh, that's right. I think maybe God wants to say something. So maybe I'll ask him what he wants to say in all of this. And I think sometimes what happens is I get uh, embarrassed or shocked by what happens. The problem is God doesn't. See, God knows who you are. He knows it the whole time. If you're angry, you're worked up, you're, whatever it may be, God knows that about you. It's only you who get shocked, if that kind of makes sense. And so I think one thing to underscore as we talk about you know, trying to create a habit of stillness, etc., etc., is we need to recognize that God knows being human comes with disconnection. That's the reason why there's even a passage like Psalm 62 and so many others is because it's very easy for us to disconnect from God. So just built into being human is the experience of disconnecting from God. That's regular old human stuff, okay? We're not talking about something that's not human. We're talking about that's what God expects of us is we are going to disconnect, get busy, and disconnect, okay? Let me underscore, just put a real extra, um, extra couple of underlines underneath this. Paul, one of the passages that we probably use, maybe you've used this, I know I've definitely used this, Paul, in, um, in Philippians 4.6, you've heard this probably a thousand times for those of us who've been around God for a while. Um, it says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and petition, etc., etc. And so we say, oh man, are you anxious? Well, you shouldn't be. That's what Paul says. You should be anxious for nothing. So if you're not being anxious, that means you're probably not praying well enough, brother. You in scripture, sister? Because 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares on him. You got cares? Well, that means you're probably not being a very good Christian. Maybe you should be a little bit better of a Christian. You wouldn't be so anxious all the time. What's interesting, though, is two chapters before this uh, Philippians passage, in, in Philippians 2, Paul describes himself as anxious. He says, I'm anxious for the church. He says, I'm feeling, in fact, he gives us two layers. I feel this pressure from all the anxiety I feel for the church. That's so fascinating. In fact, he says, one of his, I can't remember who, the, who his helper is um, for the, with the Philippians. But anyways, he says, that's what I love about this guy. He's so, the, some of the passages translated uh, concerned. But that same Greek word, concerned, is the word he says, don't be anxious about anything. He said, that's what I love about this guy. This guy's so concerned, so anxious for the church in some sense. That's fascinating that Paul himself, as much as he advocates for bringing that anxiety to God, he also acknowledges that that lives inside of him. He reaffirms that in 2 Corinthians. He talks about being anxious and concerned for the church. You know, another person, maybe you've heard of him, is Jesus. He had so many experiences in his service of the disciples and the people around of him, that he would feel deep things that threatened to disconnect him or whatever it may be from God. That's why he even had the practice of seclusion 
from my understanding, is because all of the busyness threatens, threatens me, threatens my heart, my state, from disconnecting from God. I think uh, Tim had said this last week, the idea of Deuteronomy 8. This is, this is just God providing, giving great things. And even in the provision, the gifts, people's pride starts to come in and disconnect from them from God and say, look at what my hands have done. Oh, man, I'm a good worker. I'm a hard worker. I'm a good saver. And all of a sudden, just the gifts, not even the troubles, the gifts disconnect me from God, right? Jesus himself, the week before and, and then the night before he was uh, going um, to uh, die, if you ever want to walk through something, I love this this week before um, Jesus' um, death, it's interesting to watch Jesus' emotional reactions to all this. But the night before and the, and the week before, we see him um, in Luke 19. He's standing looking at Jerusalem, and he's weeping. He's crying for Jerusalem. He's so stirred internally for Jerusalem that he's crying for them and saying, I wish, I wish you would have come to God. There are times where he describes his own state as agony. He's in agony. Doesn't sound like stillness. Doesn't sound like stillness. As a matter of fact, he goes to pray in the garden and the three disciples that he talks with, he says to them, come with me. Pray with me. I'm greatly distressed. I'm troubled. I'm sorrowful. And where does he say that rests? He says, in my soul. In my soul. David tells us, hey, soul, wait. Wait for God. Quiet down. And Jesus is noticing in this space, my soul is getting worked up. The core of who I am is distressed. If Paul and Jesus can feel deep amounts of emotion, anxiety, you can too. And that's okay. The question is what we do with it. And this passage calls us to recognize it and then to bring it to the Father. Again, not that we're always living in stillness and rest and quiet at all times, but we're attentive to where our soul is at, and we're trying to be aware of the next time we can get into space with, Father, with the Father and say, what do you have to say? Because I'm noticing my soul isn't resting. It isn't quiet. I'm busy. My hope isn't in you. So I'm going to give some space and say, is there something you want to say right now in all of this? I think maybe some, just a helpful, maybe a helpful distinction might be if you're harried, if you're busy, if you're going and going and going, maybe a question to ask yourself is, is my heart animated? Okay, so that's the first thing. Is it animated? I'm busy. I'm, I'm not very still. But is it animated by the things of God? So you see Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of heaven and everything else will be provided. Their clothes, uh, their food, all of the temporal things will be. Am I animated by the things of God? But, you know, if I have a, a brother and sister in Christ who's just really struggling in their walk, do I feel anxious about that? If my kids are, you know, they're going into middle school, high school, and they're starting to ask all these questions about theology, and I'm starting to feel scared or anxious about their faith, well, is that fear, that lack of stillness, is it in the category of something that animates God's heart as well? Is God a big fan of their faith? And I don't know how this will end, but I'm feeling animated by something that's meaningful. If that's true, awesome. Sure, I need to find stillness, but I don't need to shame myself that I feel so anxious about these real life um, uh, eternal ideas. 
But if I'm animated, I take a step back and I say, what's going on inside my heart? What's this fear? What's, what's going on inside me? And I start to recognize as I pick at it, oh, this isn't what animates God's heart. Actually, this is pride. Uh, this is fear about temporal things. Again, uh, um, Matthew 6, clothing, uh, food, things that God's like, hey, I got those covered. You don't have to get too worried about those things. If I start to recognize that my heart is animated, but it's not the things of God, then I can say, okay, I need to step back. I need to reprioritize in some sense. Where is my hope in some sense? Uh, there are a bunch of other distractors. We won't uh, go into, into all of them. But yeah, like pride, fear. Maybe I get fo- overly focused on cultural norms. I think about um, Martha and Mary, and there's that time where Jesus visits Martha and Mary. I mean, he's in, Jesus is in the house. And what happens is Mary goes and sits with Jesus. That's not what, that's not what good Jews do. Come on, man. There, there are rules here. You set the table, you wash the feet, you do some stuff. They're cultural norms. And Martha's busy doing them, getting busy, doing it. And Mary's just sitting here like a bump on a log. And Martha gets angry. Jesus, what are you doing? You know the rules. She should be helping me out. And Jesus looks at her and says, you're so worried about so many things. And that's fine. You have friends over and you want to do that. That's fine. But I'm, I'm not a friend. I'm Jesus. So maybe this time, your cultural rules are leading you in the wrong direction, right? Or we see the, the um, Pharisees, and they say, Well, Jesus, what are you doing with the Sabbath? These guys are eating and doing all this stuff on the Sabbath. Those are not our cultural rules, and those are not what the Bible says. And Jesus is saying, you're so focused on these rules that right here in the moment, you're not hearing the heart of God that has a heart for rest, and he goes into the Sabbath is for man, not man is for Sabbath, etc., etc., etc. Some of the distractions we have are our are, are desire to be stable, and etc., and etc. Cetera, et cetera. We rest on cultural rules and follow those, and sometimes God doesn't live by those cultural rules, and he's over here trying to do something, and we can't even see what he's wanting to do because we're so dependent on these things that we've laid out, these cultural rules that have been laid out. There, I mean, there's so much in all of it, but let me, let me just, I'll take this, I'll land this plane, and maybe we'll just uh, talk for a few minutes about maybe some practical things. Okay, okay, Jeremy, got it. I'm not very still, not resting, so what do we do? So here are some, some ideas. One of the things I love, just as a side note, there's an author that Tim's referenced and others have referenced, uh, Dallas Willard. One of the things I love that, that he says, and I don't know exactly how he says it, but basically he says there's all these great things called spiritual disciplines, but... These are all just experimentations to get out our soul in some sense. All these little practices, just like the Sabbath is for man and man's not for the Sabbath. We don't serve spiritual discipline. So let's, let's give some ideas, some habits, some um, ex, ex, um, experiments that we can try. But these aren't things we're serving. These things are serving us. And so we can try something and say, ah, it's not really getting at the soul of who I am, okay? Jettison that and try something different, okay? So we'll do some suggestions, but don't get too bogged down by, oh, I did this or I didn't do this. I remember I was talking with this guy in therapy. And was, he had this great observation, but a retired guy, just trying to figure out retired life, and, and he's a great dude, but he noticed um, he's so committed to schedule. And so he heard, oh, yeah, you know, it's good to exercise, and so he's an exerciser, and so he's like, okay, you know, I think maybe what would help is after dinner, I go for a walk. Maybe that would help me just to kind of clear my mind. Well, he noticed after like a week or two, Instead of like, okay, it's time for a walk. I mean, nice day. He started getting anxious during dinner. Like, oh man, this dinner's going long. I'm not gonna be able to get to my walk. And then it, eventually, it became like the walk is this rigid thing that he has to do. And now it's not refreshing him. It's not a fun thing for him to do. It's the thing that he has to do. And that's what none of these things are about. 
these, none of these things are the things that we have to commit ourselves to and do or else. These are just opportunities for us to get in our soul to interact with our relationship with God. So all that to say, uh, first one, no duh, pray. Pray. So ask yourself, how often do I pray? How often do I make that uh, a part of my being? If I wake up in the morning, how much do I go into my morning before I've even talked with God? And again, not to shame us or anything like that, but if we understand that God is our hope, what keeps us from engaging that hope for most of the morning, if that makes sense? So ask yourself, am I praying? I love some of these passages, uh, Psalm uh, 145.18, the Lord is near to all who call on him. And so you just ask yourself, how often am I calling on God? Because he wants to be near to me, but he's waiting for me to call on him. So ask yourself, how often am I creating space of prayer? Psalm 119 says, "Rise, I rise before the dawn and cry for help. I put my hope in your word. And that one's just more like a, uh, this discipline, this, this particular author is saying, I wake up in the morning and I structured, I wake up and I make space for that first and foremost. I rise early and I just pray. Ask yourself, am I praying? Am I making space? And then in that space, ask yourself, am I bringing my soul to this? Or is this a check mark, you know? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You can't remember you have done. Okay, got it. Now onto the cereal kind of thing, or is it like, okay, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here and saying, God, is there something that you want to say? I'm going to pray, but I'm also trying to bring myself into this. And this one might not be five minutes; it might be ten minutes. I'm just trying to create space for that. Another another idea. Let's try to develop trust. Ask yourself this question: How much do I trust God? Is my hope in God? Is my hope in God or is my hope in other things? Hmm. I want to develop more of a trust place with God. And one technique that we can do um, to develop more trust is a little more celebration or a little more um, appreciation or recognition of things that God has done. Okay, So God is oftentimes showing up in your life and my life, but it comes and then goes. And it's kind of my job in some sense to appreciate it, if that makes sense. I'm not sure if you've, you have a spouse or you have a kid or you have a friend. And how often, um, I mean, for my kids, so much of their day is given to them. And they are absolutely aware of none of it. The only time they recognize that there's food in front of them is when it's food they don't like. And there's almost never a time of sitting back and going, holy cow, I've never once made a meal. (laughs) Never once. And you know what? There's a whole cabinet full of food. I didn't work one minute to get money to buy that food. It's all right there. You know what's even crazier? I can complain about this granola bar. Say, this is junk. And somehow... Some powerful source says, we're getting rid of all the junk and we're providing new things. I didn't do anything. All I did was complain. And the funny thing, part of, a funny part about this is even as I become an adult, God is constantly providing the granola bars or whatever it may be in my life, and I'm absolutely unaware of it. Absolutely unaware of it until it's something I don't like. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding, God. Are you serious right now? No way. Get this out of here. So the part of the dynamic is if I, if I want to grow in trust and hope, I, I facilitate that in some sense through creating a space of celebration, of recognition. God, what are the things you are doing? Are my kids healthy? Do I have a job that I don't like, 
but maybe it's providing, I have uh, you know, money for my rent or whatever, maybe, and I could still pray, God, please let me have a different job. This thing stinks. But at the same time, every day say, God, this amazing God that I have money in the bank. That is awesome. Some ways you can do that, uh, maybe you journal and you just write down in your journal. Some people will keep a, um, a praise uh, um, section in their journal where they're constantly writing something they feel like God has done. I remember years ago I tried this. didn't work out, but maybe it'll work out for you. Um, I, uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, they're like a mason jar, uh, a mason jar, and you have like a, a sharpie pen, and you get a, you know, you go to whatever Michaels or whatever, and you get one of those flat rocks. You remember this, Mitch? It's still in our our cabinet. Anyways, uh, <laughs> in the, um, you have this flat rock, and every so often, something that you appreciate, you pull out a rock and you write a couple words on the rock, and you put it in the jar. And then every so often, you pull the jar out. Every week, every month, whatever, you pull the jar out, and you just pull the rocks out, and you start to pull the rocks out and go. I totally forgot about that. That's right. There was that time where my car was making that funky noise, and I was like, God, please, I don't have $1,200. Please let it be something like a filter that's really cheap. And praise God, it was a filter that was really cheap. Oh, that's right. The filter was really cheap, and I put that in the thing. I, I totally forgot about that moment. And so we create this space where it's like, oh, that's right. God is trustworthy. That's right. I can put my hope in God. Okay, so that's, that's another um, potential opportunity. Some stuff, just be plugging in throughout the day inside your own mind and heart. Um, you know, some, if, you, uh, if any of you have like a, a wedding ring or a piece of jewelry, sometimes what you do is take that piece of jewelry and put it on the opposite hand, and it will bug you all day long, so much so. But you, you tag something to that. Maybe you ask the question, am I being st- how still am I? Or when was the last time I was still? You ask yourself that when you're, you're, you're moving your hand around going, ugh, oh, that's right. How still have I been? Have I created any space? Or maybe I ask uh, myself, how scared have I been? How busy have I been? I ask, am I making space to trust God? Is my hope in him today? So just creating space to ask yourself those questions. Another one is um, memorizing scriptures uh, or just write some, you know, some down in a three-by-five card, tuck it in your pocket. Throughout the day, like I said, after that, that uh, after your treat, that's something that I... I say to myself often, for God alone, oh my soul, and I try and slowly chew on it. Maybe Psalm 4610, any of these different passages that you just memorize and say to yourself. You go on a run, you go on a drive, you put it in your car, and you just kind of read it to yourself. All kinds of different ideas to kind of get at that question. Where am I at? What's going on for me? And how important am I making God? Just as a side note, for those of us who who are, you know, people who serve a lot. There's a passage that jumps out to me is um, Luke 5, uh, Luke five sixteen says that Jesus often withdrew uh, to, um, to secluded places and prayed, often being the operative word there. He often got away. But what's interesting is the verse right before it, Luke five fifteen says people were coming to Jesus with, uh, you know, uh, people who needed to be healed, uh, people who were demon-possessed, People were coming to Jesus with, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And then right after that says, Jesus often withdrew. And for those of us who have great hearts and are constantly wanting to serve, recognize that in Jesus, he, prior- he made stillness important. Even though the needs kept coming. And so for some of us, we might be saying to ourselves, but there's so many needs. How can I make space just recognize that there were many times that Jesus would see the needs and say, this one's not from me. I got to 
I gotta still my soul. I gotta ask God what he wants me to do, okay? So for some of us, if we feel so pestered by all the things that we think a good Christian should do, we can also ask ourselves, but God, is there something you're asking me to do to get away from even those good needs that need to be met, but they're not for me in some sense? So, so many different ideas, but let's go ahead and push pause, and we'll go ahead and pray.